Good evening and welcome to our webinar on the common pretest and essentially adaptive testing in all its various forms. Um, I'm Nathaniel McCullough, I'm the founder of Simply Learning Tuition and we are a London-based company and we work primarily in the field of independent education, preparing children for tests just like this and national exams such as GCSE and A-level. And we also help place children and students in schools and universities across the UK. And this evening, I'm very pleased to be joined by two of our senior tutors, Alex and Faisal, if you could just say hi. We're gonna be answering lots and lots of questions about the common pretest. Now, several of people on this talk have sent in questions already so we'll get to those as we work through the questions but we've we've got a kind of a, a full gamut of answers here which we hope will answer all the questions you've got about the pretest and we have the chat function this evening so if anyone is in, is burning to ask a question that we haven't covered or wants to go deeper into a question that we are discussing please just type it into the chat and then i'll, I'll try and introduce it so we can get an answer for you um, inside the chat we've started with a list of all of the schools that are currently using the common pretests and these are the precursor to 11 plus 13 plus but that list is quite useful if you want to see see what the tests are being used at the moment and i've just put our contact details below that so any questions please pop them into the chat and we will get started with a very quick introduction to our two tutors this evening who are going to answer all the questions faisal being a head teacher um, going from reception up to year eight and a professional private tutor doing, if I understand, nothing but private tutoring for about 13 years after that. Yeah. Brilliant. And Alex, you are a mathematician. Uh, you're a BA and an MSc from Oxford. And you've been, how long have you been tutoring with SLT? Oh, several years. Um, I want to say at least seven, I think. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, okay, so let's move on to the first question, um, which is essentially about the background and the structure of this test. Um, so Faisal, I'll give this one to you if I could. Um, what is the pretest, and how does it fit into this series of 11 plus, 13 plus, and scholarships? Um, the pretest is sort of a new test that's been introduced by independent schools, um, and I think the main reason behind it, the driving force was because of the sheer numbers of children applying for 11 plus and 13 plus places. So one way for the schools to sort of sort the number and not have so many kids coming into SIT tests is introducing the, the pretest. So what the pretest does is it will give schools an idea of where a child is academically. And then that tells them, are the kids likely to succeed if they invited to an exam at the school or not? So you have to do well enough in the pretest uh, if you want to be invited to sit the more formal entrance exam of the school. Thank you. And, and when and where do children take the pretest? Uh, for me or for? Oh, for you. you. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, so most children take it at the at the school they're attending, uh, as long as it's an ICEB registered testing centre, and most schools are. If not, they can take it at the secondary school or one of the secondary schools you're applying to. Uh, and if that's not an option, then you can take it at an official ICEB registration test centre. And can the parents apply directly to, a, to an official centre? Right, If they don't go to an independent school right now and they, they, don't, they don't have the ability to sit at the secondary school, is it something they can take up upon their own efforts? Yeah, to yeah. I mean, pre in previous years, I think it changed this year. Previously, the school registered your child to sit the ICEB. This year, parents had to go onto the website and register themselves. I mean, we've just gone through it with our daughter who was in year six. So we've just been through the whole process. So the parents go to the ICEB website, uh, register, log on, and and, and that's, that's that. Perfect. Okay. And so we've provided a list of the schools that currently use the pretest. Um, but do... So it's clear that not all schools would use this. What, what do they use instead if they're not going straight to the 11 plus? Do they have another filtering mechanism? Do they have their own tests? So, yeah. So um, if you look at the secondary schools on the list, I think there's about 75 on there. They use the ICEP pretest. If you are a daughter, uh, sorry, if you're a parent of a girl and you're not looking at the ICEP school and you're looking at one of the consortium schools, your daughter will sit the consortium test 
Now the consortium test this year was developed with the consortium schools and ATOM, and it was the first time that it was used this year, this academic year. Prior to that, they were using the ISEB. So they've, they've done their own bespoke test for the consortium schools. Uh, if you're not looking at a consortium school and you're looking at the, one of the girls' day school trust schools, for example, Wimbledon or Putney High, they also don't use the ISEB, they don't use the consortium, but they do have their own tests which children are required to sit at the school. For example, I think it's Wimbledon, they have still a paper and pencil, verbal and nonverbal reasoning. And Putney gives them, I think, maths and English. It's a computerized test. So you'll have to look at each school, what their testing criteria is, if it's not on the ISEB um, list of schools or the consortium uh, list of schools. Great, thanks Faisal. And we'll, we'll come on a little bit later to, to pre preparation and how you can help your child prepare for these tests. Mm. But I think it's, it's probably fair to say at this point that there's a there's a kind of a general sense that is it fair to make children sit yet another test so we're, we're sort of by by making them sit a pre-test schools are essentially streaming them yeah which, which in a way is good for parents because it gives them an idea of whether their child is suitable for that particular school or not but in another way it's really just convenient for the schools because what yeah. they're doing is sort of building their marketing funnel and getting children quite early sort of hooked into their ecosystem. Yeah. The age old question is, can you actually judge a child at a particular age level? Is it accurate? Is it is it fair? Um, which is why I think we as tutors like to make sure that a child is not being overstretched, but is actually delivering their full potential. And that might be something that would benefit tremendously from a small, you know, short course of tuition or a longer course, depending on where they are. But I think it's fair to say that whether a school is doing an official ISCB pretest or their own version, the underlying concepts of the test are, are fairly similar. So is it fair enough to say we can reassure parents to say, look, it doesn't, don't worry too much about choosing a school based on its pretest. Choose a school based on whether it's the right school for your child. And then the, the schools are all looking for the same core skills in literacy, numeracy, this kind of thing. Would that, do you think that's fair? Um, yes, yes, I think so. Uh, the only, the only thing is the, the pretest doesn't have any written component. It's all computerized and you'll have maths, English, verbal, nonverbal. Uh, when you go to sit an actual exam at a school, depending on the school, there may be creative writing, you know, um, a creative writing element to that. And then the only other thing is, um, you know, have a look at the schools and I would say to parents have a range of schools. So I was saying that, you know, the, the, the online ISEB pretest and the London consort well the London consortium test is the test to get into the school so if you're doing the London consortium your child will just sit that and they'll get in or they won't with the ISEB it's sort of like to get your foot in the door to then be allowed to sit the school's own entrance paper and depending on the school there may be a creative writing element which doesn't exist in the online computerized version and the other thing I would say is have a range of schools when you apply for school so don't you know go for all the top schools because a child can have an off day not do well in the ISEB and not get invited to any school and as a parent you're then sitting there scrambling trying to find a school for your child. Thank you Faisal great advice. Um, Alex a, a basic question now but it's an, it's an important one um, mm -hmm. the pretest is adaptive and I'm sure that everyone on this, this webinar knows what that means, but can you just explain for anyone that doesn't, how, how does that differ and does it favour certain children? Sure. So adaptive means that uh, basically the difficulty of questions um, can change. Uh, so if two students are doing the test, uh, if one is doing really well in the earlier question, then they will basically, uh, you know, make it through and be presented with harder questions, which is actually a, um, you know, benefit because, you know, the, all the algorithms and everything behind the scoring, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not known, it's not publicly known, but basically the more difficult questions that you can reach and get right, the better your score is. So it's not as though when two students do a test, you know, it's out of a hundred and whoever gets the most out of those hundred questions correct um, does the best. It's more about, um, you know, getting the hardest questions correct. So it, it seems strange, but when two students do a test, if one student feels that it was really easy and they did really well, well, that might be because they got some of the earlier questions wrong. And so they never really got to those 
harder questions. Whereas a student who thinks they did really terribly because they finished with loads of hard questions that they couldn't get right, um, they might have actually done quite well because they, you know, were able to, to reach those harder questions. Um, so it's so basically adaptive means that uh, the test responds to how well the child is doing and presents them with, um, you know, harder questions if they think they can handle it. Um, in terms of who can, you know, whether that favours uh, certain students over others, um, I guess in terms of um, resilience, I guess if, if there's a student who is who is doing well, um, not being um, sort of thrown or put off if they're suddenly being faced with um, questions that are slightly harder than they are used to, although hopefully with um, you know preparation for the pretest they would have faced some some hard questions. But I guess that's something to, to bear in mind because obviously at school, you know, when they're doing tests, they're obviously not adaptive. They're, they're not used to questions necessarily, you know, suddenly getting harder. Um, so that is, yeah, I guess something that is slightly different to, you know, traditional, um, you know, in-class tests. Something to be very much aware of as the practice. So it doesn't, mm -hmm. shouldn't feel either too easy or too hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And also just from a um, kind of a sort of emotional well-being point of view, letting them know that this is the case and that just because they found it really difficult, doesn't mean that that's a bad thing it might even be a you know a good thing in in, a, in some sense yeah I remember actually having an interview once for university and it was the most appalling <laughs> half hour of my life and I felt like I completely failed felt yeah. like an absolute disaster and I was offered a place and the, mm -hmm. the, the interviewer said that's negative interview technique so it's not quite the same but it could leave, mm -hmm. it could leave a child feeling pretty bleak afterwards and they could have done more. um just on the subject of structure of the pretest Alex um what what is it made of? What subject areas are tested? How long does it last? Do you know roughly sort of how it's broken down? Sure. So it's uh, similar to lots of the other tests that the four subjects are maths, English, nonverbal reasoning, and verbal reasoning. Um, so and and the split of time for these tests are maths and English are forty minutes each. Um, they changed that this year. It was a little bit different in in previous years. Uh, Non-verbal reasoning is 30 minutes and verbal reasoning is 25 minutes. So in total, it's uh, two hours and 15 minutes uh, of tests. They don't all have to be done on the same day. I think based on the students I had in the in the last wave, they did, I think, um, two tests uh, per day on, on two consecutive days. But um, and so the maths and English, that, those are obviously school subjects and um, in general, it's up to, you know, key stage two type level. Nonverbal reasoning and verbal reasoning are obviously non-school subjects. So those are the ones where, um, you know, a bit of, you know, preparation is required because um, lots of students won't necessarily have done that much uh, verbal or nonverbal reasoning. But those are the, the core subjects. And, you know, in English, no, um, you know, no creative uh, writing, as, as, as Faisal was saying. So it's all it's all computer based. It's all multiple choice um so you know that format as well um students need to get used to that as well from a kind of a, a strategy point uh of view as well yeah and that must actually be quite an advantage for a lot of particularly sort of 10 year old boys who do not like describing things in mm -hmm. composition and sort mm -hmm. of don't particularly creative but are highly intelligent and mm -hmm. that is potentially a, a blind spot or a good spot for the adaptive testing depending on how you look at it um, mm -hmm. Your, your child thank you very much um okay so let's get on to probably what, what most parents are really interested in here the preparation side of things um so look this is built very much as an aptitude test one that tests underlying ability and it's tutor proof it's nothing you can prepare for and this you know schools have been saying this for years about every test they do and very few tests are genuinely tutor-proof um, because tutoring in its sort of purest form just means helping a child understand and unlocking their own potential rather than teaching them per se. Um, so Faisal, if I could start with you, um, how do you think a tutor can help prepare for the pretest? And when I use the word tutor, let's, be let's not be too specific here. That could be a parent or it could mm. be a friend or someone who can help this child prepare for the test how how would you think it can be done well i think you know as you were saying the pretest is like 
any test, if you take a step back and you look at it as tests in general, right? How do you help a child to prepare? Uh, know what materials are gonna come up, know the topics, work on those areas. Um, as you're working with a child, you'll see what are the weaker areas where their strengths are. And then you'll obviously focus more on the weaker areas uh, to get them up to par. And then you'd start stretching beyond, pushing them out of their comfort zone. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of any test preparation, it's useful to get help, whether it's the parent helping or, you know, a tutor or somebody else. Uh, the thing that I've found with most parents is it's just, you know, the, the, the expertise and the knowledge required of the content that the child needs. Um, you'll have parents who will have, for example, one child has gone through it and they're more comfortable within the second child helping them to prepare. Uh, the other thing is, you know, you've got various online platforms like Atom, uh, buffer pretest plus and schools will usually prescribe one of them to parents and the kids will practice on there so that gives you a pretty good idea of what you're going to get and children get used to the format of the questions you as a parent can see you know what they're able to do what they're unable to do you also can have like practice tests so you get an idea of the timing i would leave the timed ones closer to when they sit the actual test. Don't start it too soon in year six because you can have a child going through and oh, I've run out of time. And that's a negative experience. And then they hold on to that and that carries forward. So, you know, I'd save the time sort of test ones till closer to the end and just work through the untimed questions and, you know, different sections in maths, English, verbal reasoning, non-verbal reasoning. Um, and, you know, then, you know, having, having sort of a parent or a tutor, anybody who knows the system who knows the questions who knows the content will only benefit a child because then you can focus on specific areas that you've seen uh, traditionally cause difficulty for children and you will work on those before the child goes in and takes tests or, or works on the platform and then they have a more positive experience and it's all about building momentum with any learning with any child right you want to go in and you want them to have a positive experience and you just build on that and continue building 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 and it's a snowball effect and then overall no matter what the child is faced with they've got the yeah i can take this on i'll do it so that for me is the fundamental underlying principle in any preparation for any test thank you and what um maybe over to you alex in terms of timings when do you recommend that parents start preparing their children yeah I, that, that's it's a difficult question because it depends what you mean by preparing because um you know some of the let's say the fundamentals i would say even though you know obviously i i am an advocate and i do use um some of the you know online platforms that we've discussed but you know wider things especially for maths and english so you know for all of these entry tests you know getting for some of the students that i've had early on you know even 12 months before the um the pretest making sure that they are um you know reading for fun um sort of increasing that a little bit um because that has all sorts of knock-on beneficial effects in the um uh the english and verbal reasoning and also just more generally in like the you know latter stages of, of applications um also with with numeracy as well um making sure they have a really strong you know fundamental uh, understanding of the the basics um so i'm you know, thinking about the, the core things, so like times tables, fractions, decimals, those types of things. Um, so I'd say that uh, the typically kind of the some of the parents will will start, you know, 12 months um, before pretest, which is a, a long time before. But I think if it's not, I, I, I don't think you want to have burnout. Um, so I, so I think you know a little bit early on is is good. Um, I think getting a little bit of exposure to verbal reasoning and non-verbal reasoning in particular um, is beneficial because, um, you know, some students won't have seen that um, too much. Um, but I think at a, a minimum, really in particular over the um, summer, um, you know, before the, the pretest is, is a good time to um, start amping up the, the preparation a little bit. Um, and starting to build that momentum because what, what you don't want, you know, it is a marathon really rather than a sprint because if suddenly in the final weeks or month, um, you know, before the test, this, you know, the, the student is being shown, you know, questions that, of the type that they've never done before, um, then that could, um, you know, knock confidence a little bit or make them make them panic. You want to make sure, you know, at least you know a couple of months before the pretest that they at least have an understanding of what's going to be in the test, 
um, so that then you can, you know, work on, uh, you know, sort of improving those skills where they're, they're weaker. Um, so I'd say from a, a confidence point of view, you don't want to be leaving it, you know, too late for sure. I think, I think that's really good advice. We, we tend to recommend as a sort of a, a standard amount, a standard ideal to start about a year before the 11 plus. And I suspect this is fairly similar, but it is also quite a different concept. Children are much more used to computers and online, the online experience than they were even three or four years ago. But a big part of success is surely um, exam technique and confidence and not just underlying content, but you can build those towards the end. It's the problem, as you mentioned, absolutely, is this idea of reading for fun and having the basic building blocks of maths. Quite often we are contacted at, at the very three month, four months before the, the, the assessments by parents in sort of varying states of anxiety saying, well, we, we thought we were doing some preparation, but then we discovered that they, they don't have the fundamental sort of, they can't divide, they can't do multi multiplication, things like this. And that takes longer to undo. And we always recommend that families start, as you say, with a relatively small amount of tuition, but regular and as far in advance as possible, ideally about 12 months, because then you create a really wonderful virtuous circle, because we're not just teaching to pass this test. We're actually teaching to help these children understand the concepts they're going to use after the test and be better writers and better, more numerous, more, more, more numerous, um, find their work easier. And as their confidence grows in school through more preparation for the, if it's focused on these tests, that's fine. It generally helps with all of their schoolwork. I mean, is that is that something that you guys have come across? That the the less pressure on the student, the better the results, or does it does it vary? I think I think some students um, a little bit of um, pressure, or I was recently tutoring um, uh, twins, and a little bit of um, you know sort of uh, competition, let's say, I think um, helped there with them with their you know preparation schedules. Um, so, you know, that, but I think, yeah, definitely not too much, um, pressure because, uh, yeah, that, that, that doesn't help too much in my experience. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I'd say. Brilliant. Okay. Um, um, sorry, I'll just, I'll just chime in there. Um, just picking up on what Alex was saying about the fundamentals in maths and reading in English is key. It really is key. Because, um, you know, and you need a child reading from, I'd say, year two, year three, year four, and just building on that. Because what, what the pretests are really honing, honing in on is um, the width of vocabulary and understanding and inferential understanding. And then that also plays into the verbal reasoning. And it's very hard to play catch up with English and language acquisition. It's easy in a lot of ways with maths. You know, because you can teach the concepts like if there are gaps and you can cover those more easily. But reading is really something you want to start on early with a parent and encourage and encourage that rich discussion around the text and use varied vocabulary with the children and get them used to language beyond and above their years, because that's what they're going to get, like it or not, you know, in these tests. So that's so important. And then the other thing about pressure or not pressure, it comes down to individual children, I would say. Some children sort of like to take a challenge on and not, not put themselves under pressure, but just test themselves. Others require a bit of pushing. Um, for example, you know, uh, like our, our daughter in year six, up until year five, she had no interest in any academic work. Then in the summer, she goes, oh, I'd like to try for one of these schools. And as parents, we're sweating now, you know, gosh, <laughs> preparation now. Um, so we said, we said to her, listen, if you want to prepare, children have been preparing for a year already. We've got like three months. So you need to commit to that. And we need to say, fine, we're going to get up every morning at 6.30. We're going to work in the evenings after school. And if you're happy to do it, we'll do that. So that's sort of, you know, when a child is a bit older and it depends on the maturity of the, of the child, they can make that decision and go, yeah, I'm going to commit to that. And she came through with flying colors. So it also depends on the individual. That's quite intense. I mean, your daughter's a, a, a spirited girl. She is. Um, in sort of in a, in a more long-term run-up, I mean, how many hours would you think a child could study for this a week? Let's say with a tutor, because it's I think it's unrealistic to think they'll be doing a lot of studying on their own, even with Atom or something. I think it's it's often that they will need a bit of guidance. But would you what would you think is a sort of a fairly standardized amount? I think I think it's it goes back to sort of regular 
rather than short burst of intense tuition. So, you know, as long as, as a parent also, you'll pick up and you'll see, you know, is your child um, at the level in maths, at the level in English, you know, and you'll have a sense of where your child sits within, within their cohort at school, within the year group. And, you know, it's, I think, you know, parents trust yourselves and trust your gut instinct. And if you think your child needs support in something um, and, and you don't feel confident enough to provide that support, then reach out to a friend, a tutor. It doesn't, it's, you know, it doesn't have to be a tutor or whatever, anybody, just reach out so that you, you're doing something and you're not leaving it too late because that's when you have the worst results, when you know something needs to be done and you ignore it, ignore it. As adults, we know that, you know, from personal experience. So I would say, you know, if, if you, you're noticing something or you think something, trust yourself and trust your gut and act on it and do something about it and that'll save you and your child headache and heartache in the long run. Thank you, Faisal. Um, for children who have dyslexia or indeed another LCN, another learning difficulty, um, schools can communicate to each other uh, they, when they get to a certain stage of the selection process, they talk individually about each student in, in the independent system. They will very, very often compare scores, but they'll also look at headmaster, headmistress's reports, and they will have, there will be a dialogue. But when you're actually sitting the adaptive pretest, is there any allowance made for dyslexia or another learning difficulty, or is it just you, you just have to cope with it? They, they, there is, I, I don't know the full um, list of, um, you know, what they recognize, but there is an allowance of an extra 25% um, time allowance for each of the exams. Um, and I believe the process is that um, when, you know, registering, you, um, you know, flag if this is something that you think your student needs. Um, and I think I, I haven't been through this process myself with any students. But I believe that there may be a, um, you know, submitting some sort of, um, you know, evidence or proof of some form, um, you know, to, to demonstrate this extra time is needed. But that, that's the way it works. It's an extra 25% um, of time across each of the, the four papers. Thanks, Alex. Um, now we're going to move on a little bit to the sort of pretest context within, sorry, pretest within the context of the 11 plus and the 13 plus, which follow or hopefully follow. What tips do you both have? This is a big topic really, but for preparing for interview. So if the pretest goes well, it leads to 11 plus, 13 plus. What could you say to parents they could be doing to help their children give a good interview? Uh, I mean, practice, I say, is, is the main thing that comes to mind. Um, obviously a lot of students at this age will never have had any type of interview. Um, so whether that's with a tutor, whether it's initially with a parent, although ideally at some point it will be with someone who they, you know, who isn't necessarily their parent, someone who a bit like it will be in the real thing, someone that they're not 100% um, you know, familiar with, and you know, all sorts of, um, ex exactly, yeah, that's the, the, the key thing. Um, so I, I do, you know, mock interviews and depending on, you know, there's, there's some information out there on, you know, the types of questions you can get in interviews. So, you know, starting with the more um, kind of easy questions about asking, you know, what is your, what are your favorite subjects and why those types of things. And then maybe eventually asking them more uh, kind of um, thoughtful questions, like showing them a, uh, you know, a, a picture and saying, you know, can you tell me what you think about this picture or, um, you know, how would your friends describe you or so basically just practicing all of these different questions, not, not to try and get them to have uh, you know, a specific rehearsed answer, but to try and, you know, get them thinking perhaps in slightly different ways um, and also just helping them to understand, you know, what it is that the interviewer is after in terms of sort of showcasing, you know, not any specific answers, but showcasing, you know, the, the best of themselves, um, if that makes sense. So I'd say, you know, practice really is, is the key in having, um, you know, as Faisal was saying, kind of discussions that are of the kind of a slightly, um, you know, kind of higher caliber or a kind of maybe more intellectually exploratory discussions to sort of get them thinking a little bit just in case they do go to interviews and have, um, you know, slightly, you know, harder questions like, you know, asking, you know, why, why aren't we all vegetarians, you know, sort of throwing out questions that maybe make them think a little bit differently. 
And Faisal, before I go over to you, I just w- would like to add something to that. I think the the key thing you don't want to come across in the interview is um, that your son or daughter delivers a wonderful answer to the head teacher and or registrar, and <laughs> they say, "Well, who told you to say that?" So, oh, my tutor, <laughs> <laughs> or my mother, or my father. It, it's really, I think, from the school's perspective, they just want to get to know your child. So they want to really understand: is this is our school the right home for this child? Are they going to thrive? You know, it, do they have the background to academic background to to cope here, to to do well here, or will they struggle? If they're going to struggle, what what provision can we give to support that? Do we need that? Do we do we embrace that? There's there's really no point pretending. But I think you can really help a child prepare by by just, as you say, just getting them to practice and be slightly out of their comfort zone. So they, they know they've done it before and they know nothing's going to go wrong. Yeah. Um, Faisal, do you have any any pearls of wisdom about the interview process? Yeah, well, also depending on the school that your child attends, if they attend an independent school, the school will also do interview practice with the children uh, when they're in year six and start them off. But, you know, as Alex was saying, you can also find um, lots of examples of questions online and use those and get somebody else also to interview your child and give them mock, mock practice. Um, the biggest thing with the interview preparation is you want the child to be confident. You want them to be relaxed around an adult, look the adult in the eye, smile, be pleasant, greet them by name when they walk in um, and be prepared to answer anything. So the worst thing you could do is as Nathaniel alluded to, is have pre-scripted answers because you never know what will come up. And they do really want to get a sense of your child, who they are. Um, will they fit in here academically as well as socially? You know, will they be able to thrive in this environment? Is the school a match for them and are they a match for our school? Just what can parents do to, to try and get their children ready for interview? Um, I think, the biggest thing is for you yourself as a parent to be relaxed um, when you, when you, if you're doing practice with your child or when you're prepping your child, have a list of questions that you either, you know, make up by your, yourself or get examples of questions off the internet. And when you're doing the practice with them, just praise them, I would say, you know, really encourage them and coax them. So whenever you have, um, a response from them, for example, Alex said, you know, why aren't we all vegetarians? Get them to expand on an answer, okay? Um, if, if the question is something similar like, do you like chocolate? Yes or no, avoid one word answers. Yes, because you always want them to expand on the answer because what that then allows them to do is it allows the school to see who they really are. So that would be my biggest tip. Always give a reason for an answer, never just one or, one, one or two word answer. Thanks, Faisal. I think you've actually just helped answer the next question we had from a parent. Um, how do you prepare for the composition element of the English 11 plus? That's a, a very specific question, but the composition is the, the writing part. It's, it's as opposed to reading a passage and then answering questions about it, which I always found much easier. The composition part is about you, your child rather, responding to a title, maybe even picking a title from a, a group of them, and writing in their own words a really you know sort of interesting descriptive piece that gets them high marks now this isn't in the pretest but it's a big part of 11 plus 13 plus um how do you how do you help them prepare we've talked about reading we've talked about being themselves and letting stuff come out and just using feelings and thoughts and contrast but is there anything you could you could say parents can do to what's the what are say the top three things that parents could do to help prepare for the writing part of these assessments? Uh, I, I would say one thing is getting them used to doing um, a short uh, plan, uh, depending on the the time allowance. Some students will dive straight in um, and want to have a very uh, you know sort of action heavy uh, story. If this happens and this happens and this happens, and they can sort of you know forget. Um, you know, what they're doing in a sense. So I think, you know, getting used to spending, you know, two, three, five minutes, um, depending on the time allowance, planning of, you know, maybe what do you want, you know, just don't be too ambitious. What do you want to happen at the start of this, you know, story? What do you want to happen in the middle? 
what do you want to happen in the end to sort of limit it? Um, so I'd say that's definitely uh, one thing. Um, another thing to try and add a bit of um, depth or variety to, to writing structure is when doing uh, practice writing exercises um, is to, you know, set the, what I'd sometimes do is set the student a goal of, you know, try and make sure of including at least uh, three, you know, similes or metaphors, or including at least uh, one instance where speech is used, or um, try and have uh, a variety of sentence length. So having, you know, while you're practicing, um, this kind of uh, checklist of, uh, you know, literary devices or techniques or punctuation or whatever that, and you, you know, you can change what the goal is each time, just to try and break them out of, um, to, to formulaic um, writing. Um, and then the, the other thing that I do is um, varying the um, the parameters of what they're writing about. So sometimes I use um, uh, finishing the story prompts where they're given, you know, the first, um, you know, first half of a story, um, which is quite good for, for students who sometimes um, struggle to come up with ideas. Um, sometimes I give them, you know, pictures to try and write about. So I'd say... Um, you know, varying uh, uh, what they're being asked to write about. And sometimes it could be being asked to write about something they've done, right? Write about, you know, a bit of creative writing about something that you, you know, did on your holidays. Um, so those would be the kind of the three big ones for me is getting them used to planning, um, getting them used to involving, you know, different um, sort of writing styles or writing devices um, and sort of practicing a variety of different, you know, writing tasks, I guess. Okay, thanks. And Faisal, is there anything you'd like to add? I, what I'd like to do just before we finish is move back to the pretest and a bit of sort of granular detail from you guys on it. But is there anything you'd like to add about? Because it is such a, an important part of going in now, going into secondary education. But this this idea of composition, anything you could help to tell parents to help unlock their child's creativity, essentially, and their ability to yeah. get those thoughts down in a coherent way. Yeah, I mean, you know, just taking a step back, underlying, underlying it all is read, 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 you know, get them reading early, read with them if you need to, uh, just so they hear the, the, the richness of different vocabulary and different types of stories. So, you know, um, wideness and depth of the books that either you're reading with them or they're reading is essential. And then, you know, when it comes down to doing writing, what I like to do is get the children to take a 30 seconds or a minute and do a quick brainstorm. I find if they can do that, like a cloud on the paper or something like that, and just don't think, just put on whatever comes into your head first. Because very often, especially with boys, they've got blocks and they think, oh, I can't think of ideas, I can't. And that's, that's your, um, your logical brain taking over. And writing and art is not about the logical brain. It's about feeling and emotion. So you want to shut that brain off and say, 30 seconds, just write. Don't filter, don't think, just put down any ideas in a quick brainstorm. From your brainstorm, you can look at that and go, well, do I like any of these ideas? And it inevitably is one. And from that, you do, as Alex said, a quick plan, beginning, middle, end, what you want to, what you want to accomplish. And then, and then you start your writing from there. And the other thing is uh, use of figurative language. Um, practice that with them when you when you practicing their creative writing uh, as Alex said varying the length of sentences different sentence starters and get them to to have different experiences of writing also as Alex said you know like write a whole story give them part of story finish off a story or from a picture so brilliant thanks Faisal um, so lots of advice there on composition uh, if we go back to the non-composition featuring ISCB common pretest Typically, and I'll start with you, Alex, a parent gets in touch with you and says, I'd like a tutor, or we get in touch with you, however it works, and you go to that student's house for the first time. Can you just tell me a little bit about the process of, you know, how much time do you spend assessing the child, working with the child to understand where they are coming from and what, what, what level they're at right now, versus just sitting in front of Atom Learning or another pre-test plus or planet both or whatever just some some sort of how much time do you spend online how much time do you spend with the child how much time do they write for you 
what's what's the kind of typical makeup of of a tutoring course with you sure um it varies um, depending on uh, you know where we are in the year, like and how much time we have. Um, but you know, I, I like to spend, especially on maths and English. Um, I, I don't if there's if time allows, I don't like to go into you know mock tests and those types of things too early. Um, I like to spend the time to you know fully evaluate for you know at least a couple of sessions. Um, kind of the core areas of um, English and maths. So not even doing, uh, it doesn't have to be doing, you know, things on the computer. It doesn't have to be multiple choice. Um, just doing sort of, you know, general key stage two, the right level, um, English and maths, just to get an idea of how are they in comprehension? How are they in, uh, you know, punctuation, spelling and grammar? How are they in maths, arithmetic, those types of things? Um, to get an idea of where they are and where the gaps are um, and then to do like an initial um, you know not not under any time constraints not under any sort of test conditions but then sort of probe in um, uh, in the reasoning side verbal and non-verbal reasoning um, to show them you know often for the first time some of those types of questions to get a sense of um, where their strengths or weaknesses are um, and you know who knows it could be uh, uh, the first three, four or five sessions, so just kind of sort of exploratory, um, trying lots of different question types um, and then making a kind of, um, you know, plan of action where, uh, you know, maybe this student is, uh, I, I realized that, um, you know, maths is their, their you know, weakest subject and uh, non-verbal reasoning is their strongest subject. So I'm then gonna, you know, plan um, how much time I'm recommending they spend preparing for each of these different things and how much time I spend with them based on that um so yeah I'm not, I'm not sure if that answers your question but that's kind of you know yep. broadly how I, how I see it it certainly helps one question I've got for before before we ask the same question to you Faisal is um with the standard 11 plus it's quite easy as a tutor to know how the student's performing you you can you can basically mark their paper and that's quite easy to stand to, to to look at versus where they might need to be for a school, what the test mark that you're probably quite privy to, what the pass rate is, the pass mark is going to be. You've got an idea of whether their hopes and aspirations are realistic or not. Mm -hmm. The pretest, you can't really do a mock pretest. You can't you can't sit there. But sorry, my understanding is you can't sit there and run the test and get an accurate result. So you, how do you know how well your students doing specifically for the pretest? So, so there are, uh, it's, it's hard to say because it is a bit of a black box, but there are, you know, online sites that um, do offer, you know, mock pretests, like things like Atom and Pretest Plus and, and, and others uh, that do give, um, you know, they do have, you know, timed test conditions um, and they do give scores um, in the same way um, or they, you know, supposedly in the same way as, um, as the ICIP pretest. Um, so that is that is one resource, um, and it's it, you have to be careful. You have to take it all with a pinch of salt, um, I'd say, um, because you know these these sites they do vary a little bit. Um, but what I would say, if, you know, if you are using any one of these sites in particular, over the long term, looking for you know, uh, you know, in the whatever a couple of months beforehand, hopefully seeing you know, a slight, you know, increase, you know, maybe a bit of up and down, but it's overall slight increase in these, these scores. Um, also with the, um, another resource that I, I like using, um, but you can get these um, 10 minute test books um, from, from CGP, which I, I quite um, like using with students because they're quite bite-sized. Um, so it is a little bit of a black box. It's difficult to know. Um, obviously, you know, through speaking to, to teachers and, and seeing, you know, latest school test results, hopefully that will flag some of the bigger gaps in uh, maths or English. Um, but to be honest, the only, the only way really to know with, I'd say with verbal reasoning and non-verbal reasoning in particular is by, you know, doing some of these um, practice tests and, and getting an idea of, of if there are any particular topics or questions where there are gaps where they keep doing not so well, because, you know, that's where the, the opportunity is. Thank you, Alex. Um, I now pass over to you, Faisal, and then we'll just we'll wrap up with a bit of sort of last last thoughts on this. Um, and then we'll, what we'll do is send an email around to everyone um, with the a link to the video so you can watch this again. 
and also some links to the things like CGP that you've been just mentioning now, Alex. So everything we've referenced, we'll link to. Um, the Faisal, so over to you. Um, how would you typically start a tuition process? And I guess the yeah the acid test is: Do you feel confident that you can judge a student's likely not their score necessarily, but their their range on the on the actual test? Uh, well, this I just wanted to pick up on what Alex was saying. You know, this is where somebody like a tutor is invaluable because what I will base things on is what I've seen students in previous years and years gone on. You know, I know what schools the children are getting into. I know the level required. So that's where somebody with experience and knowledge in that area can be hugely helpful to a parent because the school can be giving you one form of feedback but if you've got a really experienced tutor who's got kids into the best schools, who knows the standards required, who says, well, last year, this is the level they were at, and your child is exceeding or slightly below or on par, that's, that's a huge plus for parents to have, you know, just that information. So that's also essentially what you're paying for when you have a tutor with experience. You're buying that knowledge and experience, right? That's in addition to, to, to you know, uh, the expertise in working with the child, you get, you're getting that also. And you can get a sense of that just through the, the offline work. Yes, um, yes. Um, so, so, sorry, uh, preparing children for pre-tests, I never ever start online. I'll go to like an online platform later on, assuming we've got time. But even if I'm starting with them, that's the last thing I'll go to because that tells me nothing about the child. As Alex said, I'll go in there, I'll have uh, sort of tests for maths, English, verbal, non-verbal. And I'll do my own assessments with the child to gauge where they're at, depending on the age. And from that, I'll work with them. And the last thing we'll touch is an online platform because I'm not gaining any value by going to that. What I'm gaining value from is my sense of the child, my expertise, you know, all my years in teaching, tutoring and all the rest. And I'm sure Alex is the same with working with kids. And, and you're basing, you basing um, your assessment of the child as well as the written assessment uh, on all your years of experience. And I, I think that's a really interesting point that the exam, the, the ICB common pretest has been designed. So you don't need to be a computer expert to, to basically access it. You, it's not about gaming the system. It's not about if this test, if this question is easy, you, you know, you're not working hard enough or you got the last one wrong. If this question is hard, you're doing really well. If you can't do this, skip it. There's not that, that sort of, some parents, we, we deal with parents, well, we, sorry, we deal is not the right word. We work with parents yeah. putting a lot of pressure on their children saying, you know, you can do it, you can do better if you do it this way, do it better if you do it that way. But ultimately, I think the, the message here is you've got, for parents, it's difficult because there's a lot of marketing going on. The Atom, for example, are a direct competitor to ISCB. So everyone is competing for this test space. And there's a lot of advertising, a lot of a huge amount of money going into promoting the use of certain platforms within schools and directly to parents. And I think parents come to us with this general sense of pressure of like, oh, should we use this model? Should we use that? How many hours should they be in front of a computer versus traditional tutoring? And what I think is really important is that the, the skills you're giving your child as a parent or as a tutor or as indeed a teacher at school essentially it's your time and it's your interest and it's just helping your child understand that they are okay that their level is good that they can do it and sitting with them and, and leading them through it and not doing it for them but leading them through it and the online software that you can get to help with that is definitely a useful tool but it's not about teaching to pass a test particularly at this level i think i think for the pretest it, it would be the worst possible approach to go and say i've got to get a 70 percent can you can you do that can you deliver that as a tutor what would be much more sort of helpful is to say i'd like to see where my child is. i'd like to see what their strengths and their weaknesses are and i'd like you to, to either tell me how to fix it or, or to you to spend the time bringing these levels to parity so that there are no great weaknesses, that there are no great confidence gaps. And then, am I right in thinking that the exam technique, far less than in other exams, which are longer and more challenging, is less important? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think, I think, sorry, Nathaniel, if I can just follow on from what you're saying. Uh, a lot of time, parents, they just look at this through one lens. 
And you need to take a step back and realize it's still based on the national curriculum, right? So if you want to look at what skills and knowledge a child needs to do, uh, you, you can find the national curriculum online, government website, you can look at maths, you can look at English, you can see the skills, and that's what they need to know. Then all the pretest does is it tests it in a certain way through a multiple choice format, but they still need to know those skills. There's no getting away from that. You can't like trick it or, or cheat it or whatever else. With regard to all these platforms, you know, as you say, there are people making a heck of a lot of uh, a lot of money out of this Peter system now that they've introduced this, and I completely disagree with that. But you know, go back to basics and work with your child like you would have worked with them when the pretest didn't exist. It's the same thing because assuming they get through the pretest, they still have to sit a test at a school, and that's still based on you know the traditional way of testing where they need to do a usually paper and pencil, maths, English, verbal, non-verbal reasoning. So all those underlying skills in the national curriculum still need to be there. If you're focusing just on the pretest, it's extremely short-sighted. Thank you, that's very, very sound advice. Thank you both. Um, I don't think we've had any more questions in the chat. We've had a couple that have answered as we've been going, but nothing that's, uh, they've all been quite individual. So I'm going to leave it here. Is there anything either of you would like to say as a sort of final final piece? Um, or if anyone in the audience has got any questions they'd like to ask, we'll just take a few moments to, to do that. Alex, is there anything you'd like to say to finish with? No, I mean, what, what were you, just, you were just saying about um, like with the terms of the strategy and the, the gamifying of these systems, um, yeah, I think you're right that you don't want to be trying to yeah, play the system. I think I think the strategy that comes into it is the good habits of kind of more traditional things like making sure you have a student that is fully reading the question properly. If they have time, you know, double checking their answers, um, you know, those types of things, because those types of strategic points um, specific to well, these types of tests can make a, a massive difference. Um, you know, getting the, the student to slow down a little bit. Those types of strategic advice, which you can um, identify whether it's an issue by through practice, um, those are probably the types of things, strategic points that you can focus on rather than anything, you know, platform or algorithm specific or anything like that. Thank you. And Faisal, last word from you. Um, yeah, so one of the questions that, that we didn't answer, but that was sort of suggested is, you know, the well-being of the child. How do I look after the well-being of the child? And what I would say to parents, my greatest advice is look after your own well-being. Um, manage your own emotions, how you see things, how you are dealing with things, because that has a direct impact on your child. If you are stressing out and nervous and tense, the atmosphere at home becomes like that. Your child picks up on that and feeds into that. So the best way to manage your child's well-being is to look after yourself. Thank you. Thank you both very much. Um, so we'll circulate the video to everyone who's, who's attended and I'm just going to post in the chat very quickly a link to a, an article we have on our website about the ISEB pretest, which covers a little bit of the detail we've, we've gone over tonight, Not nothing quite as much depth. Um, but thank you both very, very much and um, I will see you soon. Great. All right. Thank you. Have a good evening, everybody. Bye-bye.